Uh, thank you for sticking with us. There's chaos happening in every corner, including right here at Elmhurst CRC, uh, connecting to the live stream. Uh, was a little flaky today, and our entire internet here on our campus went down for a few minutes. So Karin Rivadonera actually led us in an amazing Holy Spirit prayer that actually was recorded and will be on the live stream later. Um, so we will both post that separately, and if you are not watching this in real time, um, you can ignore this uh, apology. So we're doing a few different things. Here we are outside, Klein. Jeff, turn your pack on. Here we are outside. No one can hear me. All right. <laughs> And we're flying a little bit of little bit blind out, outdoors here. Am I working? Hopefully, Klein is operating on full power now. Can you hear me? No. Yes. We're good. All right. Hey, let's pray. Would you it? We need to pray, let's and we pray. need we need a word from God, man. Let's pray. All right. Let's pray before we get started. So, Lord, um, we need we need to hear from you. We desperately need to hear from you, Lord. We desperately need your presence and your your word and your power in our lives. We pray this morning as we unpack again your word and look into it that you would have a specific word for each one of us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Mm -hmm. Amen. So if you've been watching and if you watch the children's sermon, you know that today is Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus' early disciples and began this movement of Jesus across the world, right? And you might be wondering, well, well, we're in Exodus. Like, what in the world does Exodus have to do with Pentecost? Well, actually, quite a bit. If you actually follow the Jewish rabbis, they actually tell you that on Pentecost, the law was delivered to Moses. And so, for the Jewish rabbis, they actually uh, say that Moses ate, uh, that, I'm sorry, they, they say that they, they actually have people eat ladder-shaped bread in order to remember that Moses, they say, climbed a ladder to heaven and received the law from God. Now, I don't know about a ladder. The bottom line is, I wish Moses had a ladder, but if you go through the story really carefully, you find out that Moses actually did a lot of climbing to get the word of God. Moses is a person that listens to God, obeys him, and as we've gone through this journey, some of you have been kind of texting in and writing in saying, man, I, don't know, I didn't know this was in this order. I thought this was... So we're going to take a rapid fire, quick run through the story again to see how Moses got these Ten Commandments on this Pentecost Sunday. So... First, I want to show you a picture of Jebel Musa. This is a mountain that is in the Sinai Peninsula. And this is the, the traditional site of Mount Sinai. This is about 8,500 feet. It would take you about three hours to hike up Jebel Musa and probably another two and a half to hike down. So I just want you to get a picture in your mind. Five and a half hours of hiking to get up and down this mountain. So now let's go to Exodus 19. I'm going to rapidly fire through these passages. You'll have to read them at the bottom of your screen. Verse 3 tells us that Moses headed up the mountain to get a word from God. When he got there, God gave him the word. And then verse 7 tells us he headed down the mountain in order to tell the people the word he got from God. The people then all say, we do. And then in verse 8, Moses heads back up the mountain to bring their answer back to the Lord. And then in verse 14, it says Moses goes back down the mountain to consecrate the people and tell the people that they're going to be cleaned up for this wedding that's going to happen between them and God. And then in verse 20, God calls Moses back to the top of the mountain. He goes back to the top of the mountain and talks with God some more. And then in verse 25, he goes back down again. <laughs> Don't you love this? Three times up and down in just chapter 19. 8,500 feet, five-hour hike each way. This guy has got to be pretty studly. Don't you think? When he gets back down that last time, there's a four-chapter interlude, and it says, and the, and the Lord spoke all these words, saying. And we don't know when he spoke those words, probably when Moses was on the mountain. And then we kind of get this interlude. 
And then in verse 4 of chapter 24, Moses, it says, writes down everything God says. With his own finger, writes it down. Now, you might wonder, could Moses really write? Well, look at these uh, scribes from Egypt, 1900 B.C. I hope you're seeing these. I don't know if I am. 1900 B.C., these scribes from Egypt show us that they are people writing on a scroll all the way back four or 500 years before Moses even is in this story. So Moses learned how to write in Egypt, and he was writing these things down. We jump to verse 7. It says he took the book of the covenant he had been writing and read it to the people. And again, they said, we do. And then in verse 15, it says that Moses went back up on the mountain because God called him back up there in verse 15 of chapter 24, heads back up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And during this time, Moses is actually uh, receiving the detailed instructions on the mountain of the tabernacle and how he's going to build this tabernacle, this dwelling for God to dwell with his people and live among them. When that's all finished in chapter 31, verse 18, which is not on your screen, but maybe they're going to get there, 31, 18, the Lord hands Moses two tablets of stone inscribed with the finger of God. So this is the first time we see the Ten Commandments inscribed with the finger of God himself. Right Before this, Moses wrote it all down. And then, of course, chaos breaks out in the camp. The golden calf happens, and Moses is sent down the mountain again, God says, you better go deal with this chaos. And in verse chapter 32, verses 15 to 16, here's what we read. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So he goes down with these two tablets. Now I want to show you a picture of some tablets um, inscribed with writing on both sides. This is kind of how these clay tablets would have probably looked. And so Moses goes down, of course, he sees all the chaos, he takes these tablets and he throws them at the base of the mountain and they shatter, right, and he breaks them. Then he has another long conversation with God and then God tells him, look, Moses, since you broke the tablets, you need to chisel two new ones out of stone and bring them back up to me at the top of the mountain. So in Exodus 34, verse 4, Moses chisels the stones and he brings them back to the top of the mountain. Now, I don't know if you catch this journey, like Moses, up, down, up, down, up, down. This guy's 81 years old for crying out loud. Up, down, up, down, up, down on this, you know. And I love Moses because he's totally obedient to God, right? He's sold out, radically obedient. He's listening to God's instructions and he's carrying them out. He's a great picture of what it looks like to be obedient to God. Not like don't watch this movie and don't listen to this music. I'm talking about the obedience that is like the mission of God obedience. And whenever you're obedient in this way to God, what happens is, is that the glory of God gets revealed and you have a profound experience with the Lord, right? Um, so I, I just want to say that in our life as Christians, we should always be asking ourselves the question, what is God asking me to do today? And will I do it? Will I go do it? What's he asking me to do? And show that radical obedience off to God. The final verse I want to show you is Exodus 34, verse 28. I want to read this to you. It says this, Moses was there with the Lord at the top of the mountain, and he wrote on the tablets that he had, had carved out the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So he writes on these tablets, and then the story continues. Pastor Ray? All right. So Moses definitely was changed by this experience of receiving the Word of God, um, of spending time with God, maybe even changed by all the trips up and down the mountain. Uh, Exodus 34 says this about how even Moses 
physical appearance was changed in this process. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So sometimes we can see people who have like a happy, warm glow on their face. It could be that they spent some time outside exercising. Uh, It could be that the wind or the sun was on them. Sometimes our faces glow when we're especially excited or enthusiastic or passionate about something. When we're in love with Moses, uh, it could have been a combination of all these things, but especially it was because he spent time in the presence of God. His face was literally reflecting and radiating the glory of the Lord. And as Moses came down this final time from the mountain, with the word of God, everybody could see the glory of God written all over his face. I think you can still see this on people today, right? You can see when people's faces, when you've been exercising, when your cheeks are red. We can even see in people's eyes when they're enthusiastic or in love. And if you have spiritual antenna, you can detect sometimes when people have spent time with the Lord. In President Abraham Lincoln's life, he was one time sitting down with an advisor and they were discussing a possible uh, addition to the cabinet. And Lincoln, um, after receiving you know, some advice, said, I, I don't really want this person on my cabinet because, quote, I don't like this person's face. And the advisor said this, but President Lincoln, sir, uh, a person is not responsible for their face. And Lincoln replied, every person over 40 is responsible for their face. <laughs> you, and, you and I are, yeah. we're stuck with this, Klein. I know, I can't help it. <laughs> I think Lincoln's point was this. Obviously, we can't control the beauty of our face, the bone structure that we're born with, right? That's uh, just nature. But after decades of living, um, the way we present ourselves, what we think, the way we carry ourselves, it gets to be permanently written in the look in our eye, in the lines in our face, Um, And Moses, after these experiences, looked like a guy who had been with God. So here's the thing. If you detected this so strongly in a person, the glory of God radiating out of somebody's face, how would you react? Here's how the people of Israel reacted. Exodus 34, verse 30. When Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance on Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. They're not on the same spiritual place that Moses is. They can't handle the intensity of God's presence and the short-term solution to Moses in their midst, having just been with God, is to put a veil over Moses' face so that he will not freak them out with the signs of God's presence and power. So Moses wearing a veil became the new normal in the Israelite camp. Again, from Exodus chapter 34. Whenever Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak to the Lord... He would remove that veil until he came out again. And then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So then he would put the veil back over his face until he returned to speak to the Lord. Now this radiance on Moses would come and go. As Moses left the presence of God, um, it would fade over the days. But this was the new normal. God, however knew that his people needed something more than just the short-term glow of one guy's face. We don't need uh, leaders who come and go. 
We need a God who will permanently be with us. And God understands this about his people. Not just leaders who glow, but we need a God, the sign of God's presence that will never leave us or forsake us. So God sends an amazing sign, really, an amazing signal, uh, something that everybody can lay their eyes on every day. God is literally going to pitch his tent or his tabernacle right in the midst of his people. So tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so God actually is not just at work on Moses. His Holy Spirit is actually at work on some other folks. So let's read from Exodus 35, 30 to 35. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills. To do what? To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given both him and Oholiab the ability to teach others to do the same. He has filled with them with the skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. I love this. The Spirit of God gives these two guys these artistic abilities, these supernatural artistic abilities, because he has a mission for them to carry out. He wants them to be able to do this amazing artistic work on this house he wants built for himself and his people, his new bride, right? This is what we call a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by the Spirit of God to carry out the mission of God in the world. Now, um, we're pretty well versed on spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There's four lists of them, and you know, we get into a whole teaching on this, but in five minutes' time, we don't have time to get into the whole thing. This is something you should definitely look into. I, I got a few uh, observations for you this morning to hang on to with this. The first one is this. Um, when you take in Jesus and his Holy Spirit, you get at least one spiritual gift. So that means everybody listening who's taken in this Jesus and his Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift. Not just the professional Christians, no, you have a spiritual gift. In fact, totally. I wish all of you could have the experience I had when I got ordained to be a pastor. I got in front of this church building and 40 guys laid their hands on my head and prayed the Holy Spirit on my ministry. That should happen for every Christian in the world, not just professional Christians, because all of you are anointed by the Holy Spirit to do amazing things in the world and bring God's healing reign into the world, right? We need more people in the world who are walking around with the Holy Spirit and showing off his supernatural power in the world. That's observation number one. Second, what I love about these gifts here is that they're like, almost like vocational gifts. They're like gifts to work with your hands. You know, we, we hear the gifts like prophecy and evangelism and all these gifts, and we think, oh man, I can never do that. But these gifts are like, you know, like you can work with wood, you can work with your hands, you can do this work. And so the, the Lord's given these, these guys this ability to go to work, to do this vocational work. You know, it used to bug me like crazy. I'd go in buildings like Wheaton Christian Grammar School at Wheaton. There's a hall, hall of a wall of fame, and on the wall of fame, all these names just professional Christians listed, like 50 professional Christians. Now, I mean, great. Those people should be honored, I guess, for their sacrifice and what they've done. But the thing is, what bothered me, that wall wouldn't even be there if it wasn't for people that have been called by God to be good businessmen and to make money and to make things with their hands and to do all this other stuff in the world. So, so I guess I want to encourage you this today to say God has got something for you to do in the world and he can spiritually come around it with his Holy Spirit's power to make it really 
uh, useful for his work in the world. The last thing I have is that in this passage, it said that these guys were given the ability to teach others to do this work. Now, I live with a supernaturally, spiritually gifted, artistic person. She has a bunch of spiritually gifted, artistic friends that come around. When they're together, it's unbelievable what they can make with their hands, what lives in their minds, way beyond my ability. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. It creates beauty in the world, right? God wanted his tabernacle, his house, to be beautiful. So he gave these guys the ability to take their supernatural gifts and empower and equip others to join them on this journey. God empowers them because he wants to dwell with his people. He wants to live with them in this building he's going to make. I love what Ray Vandalon said when I was in Israel with him. He said this, in Genesis, God created the space, you know, the Garden of Eden, and told Adam and Eve to fill it. They kind of fill it with chaos, you know, if you know what I mean. So this time, God is giving his supernatural Holy Spirit power to two men and all these craftsmen to make the space, and he's going to fill it. Probably go way better this time, right? What do you think? Right on. Um, so there's an amazing passage in the New Testament that connects some of these dots from this moment in the Old Testament when the Word of God came to Moses, the Spirit filled him up, when the Spirit sort of designed and executed the details of God's dwelling, the tabernacle, um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Check this out. The old way, with laws etched in stone, that led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, a shining face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? So this passage contrasts the old way, uh, the Ten Commandments, the fact that we didn't know how to keep them exactly, broken promises, betrayal, violence, and the old way is still very much alive today, right? We see the signs of this in our own land today, the, the brokenness, the injustice, um, the harm that's going on uh, even the last couple days. The old way came with a little bit of glory, right? The tabernacle, the shining of Moses' face, but the new way comes with an amazingly greater glory. The old way came with a veil, right, to kind of cover up and even obscure and diminish the glory of God, the new way comes with a veil removed so that what God is doing can be revealed and shared and totally opened up. This is one of the amazing things about existing in the New Testament era. Like things are so open up that we worship in a church that has for sure first generation Americans from a dozen different countries in our church. We have fifth generation Americans we have people with different colored skins who have different, color, different languages uh, that are their mother tongue. And this can happen in 2020 because of the work that the Holy Spirit has been doing low these hundreds of years. Uh, increasingly, um, some of the old ways are being removed. Like the possibility of this even 100 years ago in the United States, it would be impossible. But God is doing a new thing even now. 2 Corinthians 3 continues with these great words. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. 
And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Friends, there are still all kinds of veils that exist today. There's the veil of ignorance. We don't know God's word as well as we should. Our culture increasingly is not plugged into what God's word says. Even his basic love language is expressed in the Ten Commandments. We live under currently a veil of uh, low-level depression. I mean, pretty much everybody is fed up with the way life is going right now. We live under the veil of grief and injustice and sadness, and the weight of that veil is hugely apparent right now. We live under a veil of anger, the stuff that is going on, the protests and the riots, the needless death of a man, and now what has just started, what has started as peaceful protests being hijacked into a cacophony of destructive and possibly unjust acts ruining the property of others. These veils are everywhere, and we feel the weight of these. Whenever these veil descends, it hurts the heart of God because his spirit is all about splitting the veil, opening things up, and letting the glory of God shine forth. So what can we do on this Pentecost Sunday? I would humbly suggest, in addition to what Pastor Jeff has already said, that we can pray and pray and pray again for God to take away the veils that obscure our vision, that... uh, Make us blind to reality. Make us blind to God. Make us blind to know what is what. Number one, pray for God to take away the veil. Pray that God will send us leaders to help guide and channel the powerful feelings that are everywhere right now into something positive and constructive and helpful. If you haven't seen either of these women speak yet, our own uh, Mayor Lightfoot here in Chicago and the mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, had some pretty powerful Uh, just and calming and peaceful words these last couple days. As pastors, I feel like, you know, we're a couple of middle-class white guys. Um, It probably needs to be our role right now to not give too many orders and to listen first. And, but these African-American women who are mayors of two of our great cities, um, they have good words to say to us at this point. Pray for the light of God to shine on the faces of the people of God. That in crowds, in difficult situations, in family arguments, that the same spirit that came down in Pentecost, the same spirit that glowed through Moses, will be shining through the faces of people who love Jesus, who find themselves saying peacemaking words, wise words that come from a deeper place than we have on our own. Pray for God to take away the veil. This passage has a really mysterious line. The Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Lord Jesus, and the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. This is getting kind of mysterious and Trinitarian, but what we need is the leading of the Holy Spirit now, the leading of Jesus himself right now, to chart our way through and out of the wilderness that we are experiencing. So we could use your help in one item. Um, Right after this worship service on our website, we're launching a very short 10-question survey. Uh, For those of you who are part of our church family or community, um, this will also be hitting your email through our database later today. We'd love you to help cooperate in the Holy Spirit's work by helping our leadership discern both um, what's the best next steps and the timing of those next steps by participating in the survey. That would be a very big help. 
I also feel like this would be a good day for us to um, talk things out a little bit more. So in just a few minutes when this uh, worship service ends, Pastor Jeff are going to hang around. would love to engage with you in our question and answer session. If you want to use the chat feature on live stream to make a comment or chat in something, um, we need each other as fellow followers of Jesus filled up with the Spirit to kind of get our thoughts uh, and our actions and our prayers in order. So we'd love to join in with you. Pastor Jeff's going to lead us in prayer, then we're going to um, share in a closing song together. All right, let's pray together. So Lord, these are definitely uh, crazy times. And we are all sort of listening and struggling and trying to figure out uh, what's next for us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give your people a word from you, Lord. Your spirit would speak to us. Your spirit would empower us. Your spirit would make our faces shine so that when people look to us, Lord, they know that they can come to us because we have the healing reign of God and we have your spirit's power to deal with the chaos that's being spread across the world. Lord, give us wisdom, give us strength, give our leaders wisdom and strength. And Lord, uh, just be with us in a mighty way. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.